The things that he was saying while he was doing the Silk Road, it wasn't just about the drugs. Yeah, obviously. And that's the example that I think is being made of him. I don't think it's about the drugs. I think it's about you do not run economies with with anything other than the dollar. Do you think that he knew that he might go to jail forever and die in prison? I don't think that when he started, he planned on being a martyr for Bitcoin. Oh, but the Bitcoin community sees him as one? People in the Bitcoin community see him as a martyr. How do you see him? I see him as a person who ran an experiment that worked, and it worked a little too well. Kind of like the Flirting with Bitcoin Clips bounty program. Yeah. (laughs) Or just throwing it out there, El Salvador. Uh Uh-huh. That's another experiment. But El Salvador is a country. They have certain, whether the United States is going to respect them or not, they have certain sovereign rights. Russ Albrecht was just a citizen of the United States, and he was breaking laws within the United States. But fundamentally, what he did with Silk Road is what El Salvador is doing. It's running an economy using Bitcoin. listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. And I'm Ian. And, and we're, we're the, the Recepies. My husband Ian is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am not. Each week he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption. We have a lot of fun with it. But I'm not trying to overwhelm you with technical analysis and price targets, babe. You promise? I promise. And I promise we won't overwhelm you with ads. That's because we operate on the value for value business model. What's that? Instead of reading off a bunch of ads, we're going to keep things a little more personal, intimate, if you will. If you enjoy the show, meaning it brings you some value, consider supporting us. That support can be sharing the pot on your socials, recommending us to a friend, and yes, even sending us some money. And since I'm the Bitcoiner, I prefer Bitcoin. And you can send us some on our favorite podcasting app, Fountain. To all our Fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show. We may make the content, but without you, all I'm really doing here is flirting with my husband in front of a microphone. Y'all ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola to Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Hello, Canada. Hola, Argentina. Oi, United Kingdom. Hola, Brazil. Buongiorno, Italy. Sawadi, Thailand. Hola, Portugal. A lot of olas in this one. And howdy to Texas. Ah, yes, Texas. One day they will be their own country and they will get their own stat in web metrics. If If that's the reason to do it. We've been saying hello just in the native language. We haven't been calling out the countries. And I thought it'd be very interesting to kind of tell you guys who's listening to us. So those are the top 10 countries that listen to us. It's really cool. And I think like, I know I say this all the time. It's just really hard to believe that there's so many people listening to us, let alone so many people internationally listening to us. And I think it's really impressive because it means all of you have a really good understanding of English where like, you know, I'm not I'm not saying it to be like, wow, you speak English or understand English. It's really rare to like in America be exploring information in a different language. And so like kudos to all of you guys like I'm, you know, I'm bilingual, but not really by choice. You know, I'm an immigrant. So I have my mother language and then I have English that I learned when I moved here. But it's really cool that, you know, there's people in all of these different countries, not just these, right? These are our top 10 countries that are out there listening to us in English. So 
It's really cool. We're not, I don't think ever going to get over it. But like Ian likes to say, it's Bitcoin. So it makes sense that it's international, right? Yeah, it's a standard. While we may not like the British Empire, they did a lot of messed up stuff, but they did establish this standard or the most recent standard, Mm -hmm. which is most of the knowledge, current knowledge is in English. And so if you want to have the most current up-to-date information of what's going on in the world, speaking English is a very important part of that. We've seen this happen throughout history, Germany and the Eastern Europeans. Like most knowledgeable Eastern Europeans speak German because that was where all the knowledge was for them. Same thing with like Latin and and we see it all throughout the world. So English is just a standard for information dissemination. The English language is where the internet was kind of invented. So the internet is a product of the English language, give or take. And now Bitcoin sits on top of the internet. So internet money is the standard for money now. It is interesting to me though, because Satoshi Nakamoto is a Japanese name, right? It's a pseudonym, so they could have picked anything. They could have picked anything. But then I see a lot of things that are happening around Bitcoin and what's recognized as like the top Bitcoin acquirers. They're all American, right? Some of the largest holders of Bitcoin are American. Michael Saylor has a bunch. The United States government has a bunch. And recently, Bulgaria announced that they have 200,000 Bitcoin that they like seized in some like crypto crime a while ago, back when they weren't really worth that much. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of countries have Bitcoin, not because they bought it, but because they took it from criminals. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of countries popping up claiming that they have Bitcoin. Which brings us to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so today we're talking about the Silk Road, the actual Silk Road, not the new possible version of the Silk Road. All right, but before we get into that, what time is it, babe? The current time is 787-681, and we're approximately 1,399 blocks since our last episode. Also, to note, we are 52,319 blocks until the halving, which is officially one year away. Ooh, really? One year away? Now we know the date? We don't know the date, oh. but like we know that it's within one year now. Ugh, so the having is going to happen during allergy season. Probably. All right. So I have a question actually for our international listeners. Do you guys have allergies as bad as we do in America? Like seasonal allergies, like pollen and that type of stuff? Because it's bad here. And I just keep thinking like this is no way to live. All human beings aren't living like this, are they? Do you want to know why? Because of deforestation and no. other things? Why? So we, we live in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And in Washington, D.C., there were some people that didn't like the fact that there were trees that dropped like berries and stuff on their cars. Yeah. And so in Washington, D.C., they got rid of all the female trees. Yeah. So the only trees in D.C. are male, which means they all spew pollen. But there are allergies in other parts of the country. But particularly here where you live, it's really bad. That is why you have bad allergies. Okay, but I, like I, in the United Kingdom, or okay, listeners, Spain, Germany, Canada, Argentina, you could Brazil. I'm curious. All right, Thailand. Do you guys have these problems in the cities where people have done, you know, chopped down your berry trees? I'm curious. I mean, I can't speak to all the countries. Just for humanity, I would hope that everyone doesn't live this way. No, I think allergies are an acutely American Western. It's a a Western problem, and it's it's not specifically because of the vegetation. It's it's diet and it's environment. Mm -hmm. Well, so the having, I'm going to be suffering next year during the having. Maybe all the trees burn down, and then you'll know have nice clear skies. Okay, that's the yeah. That's the alternative I have. I mean, like. We can look in history books and read stories of kings and queens and and people from throughout history that had all types of issues. We never hear allergies. 
Yeah. We've discerned that some people had cancer. They didn't know it was cancer at the time. Mm -hmm. We've learned that people had like tuberculosis and all of these things. Influenza, like they didn't know what it was, but they write down what they're seeing. And we know today what it was. Not a lot of mention of allergies. Yeah. Not a lot of mention of just like, oh man, in spring. That's what I'm saying. Here where we are, it's particularly acute because of the male pollen trees. But overall, chopping down trees because they drop berries on your car is a very Western thing to do. 100%. Right? If I like, so, had berry trees over my car, I would just have a <laughs> lovely net over my car that would catch me berries for breakfast every morning. Well, these weren't berries that you would eat. I'm just saying berries <laughs> as in like female trees drop things, yeah. right? But there, I mean, in the Maryland suburbs where I grew up, we had berry trees and bushes everywhere. And I don't really see them as much anymore. But like our whole backyard had them. My whole neighborhood had them. And there were berries that we could just like pick off and eat. Again, not talking about edible berries. I'm just talking about female trees. So when they build subdivisions and when they do all of this development, yeah, they don't plant any. They don't plant female trees because <sighs> nobody wants. Of it all. You can't see me doing air quotes here, but it's berries, as in it's yeah. just the things that female trees put off. Yeah, yeah. That's all. Yeah. I'm not saying like if it was edible, I don't think they would have chopped them down. I still want to complain. Sure, go ahead. And I will. All right, so we got one year till the having. I got one year to get my allergies together so that we can really party. So if I give you one US dollar today, how many Satoshis can I get? 3,405. 3,405 acres, acres on, on sunny Bitcoin, Bitcoin Island. Island. I guess a couple episodes ago, I called out that we don't talk about the price of Bitcoin or we try not to talk about the price of Bitcoin. There are other things on sunny Bitcoin Island to give people an idea of what living on a Bitcoin standard or living in Bitcoin world is like. So for example, since the last time that I said these numbers, they've all gone down. So the price of eggs on Bitcoin Island, 6,800 Satoshis. The price of ground beef on Bitcoin Island, 15,000 Satoshis. And the price of gas on Bitcoin Island, 8,500 Satoshis. And those are all down from the last time I mentioned that. So again, what inflation? I live on a Bitcoin standard. All right, so we haven't done shout outs in a minute, so let's get to it. Um, shout out to all of our listeners on Fountain on episode 55. Shout out to I Love Sushi, DAG, The Journey to Here, Doom Amazing, and Doug and Roop. Episode 56, Exo Resume, Hunter SF770, Doom Amazing, Doug and Roop. Episode 57, PCFLI, Vake. SMC and TNT Mom. All right, babe. We need to get a little serious. I'm not going to flirt with you right now. Okay. I would like to know what is going on with this bounty program. And I would like to know if you regret how much money you said you'd be giving out to people. Because there are a lot of clips floating around of our show now. What were those two questions again? Well, just what's going on? I asked you initially, like, isn't a thousand sats a lot? Mm-hmm. And you were like, it's what I want to do. And I said, okay, fine. Do you have regrets? No, but I am changing the amount that I give out. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, regrets, but I'm uh, not doing it anymore. <laughs> if it was real regret, I would just say we're not doing the bounty program anymore, right? I don't think that that's the case. For example, um, 
This has been our best week ever for an episode. Okay. In less than seven days, we hit 2,000 downloads. That's crazy. All right. Considering, like, we have episodes that we still haven't crossed over 1,000. So the Bounty Program... Not really episodes, but this, like, you know, I would argue this is momentum. But yes, I think prom- as a promotion tactic... It's absolutely working. Maybe the number is off and we have to tweak it a little bit. But the purpose of the bounty program was to get our listeners to become a little bit more engaged in the podcast and help distribute the content that we have. It's one thing if we do it because like we're supposed to do it, right? Like we're supposed to promote our show. Right. But I think when someone else does the promotion, it means a little bit more. Um, yes, we were paying for it, but that still they still had to do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe a thousand Satoshis was too high of a number and incentivized too many people. For example, um, there are two listeners, <laughs> uh, Mara Sats and Cloud, I forget, 357. Um, they're going through our whole catalog right now. Yeah. Thank you. They're obviously listening to it. They're obviously like making clips from what they've heard because they're also picking very uh, good titles that kind of convey what the clip is about. And so I know that they've listened. I don't I've listened to a few of them, but like I know that like these are really solid clips. Yeah. There's some other. (laughs) Thank you very much. Right. Um, And I've actually talked to them on Nostra. So I reached out and like messaged both of them on Nostra. Oh, that's so sweet, babe. Um, Well, at first I thought they were bots. Oh, so like. And that's my that's my second point here is that there's those two users or listeners who are making very insightful clips and are obviously listening to the episodes. And then there's some other listeners that are literally just clipping like the first whatever is the default amount of time yeah. in Fountain. Like and, a default clip that is produced yeah. for an episode. Yeah. yeah. And so like there's those clips as well. And I have to try to discern between the two. Which I think is just a part of like running an experiment like this. Exactly. Just see like what comes out of it, how people react to it. If somehow someone can find the bot equivalent of what, you know, we're asking them to do. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that these are, I don't think this is bot activity. I just think this is disingenuous Mm -hmm. activity. I don't want to stop the program, but we have to adjust because for every Mara sats and cloud, there's like a... User five six seven nine three nine two nine 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 seven two right yeah. But that being said, the program is going really well. A bunch of people are listening to our whole catalog. Um, they're going back and they're pulling out some really great clips. Now, another thing that I want to call out is that Fountain has a bug at the moment. Of course, it does. We love Fountain. Yep. So, like, oh yeah, you declared your love last week. Yeah. So, like, you know, it is what it is. But there's a bug in Fountain that doesn't let me see past a certain point of clips. So if I haven't paid out on Fountain, it's not because we're not paying out. It's because you got pushed off the like list that I can see. Yeah, um, the app is like, it's what, a year old. It's doing its best, but it's hard for me sometimes to find things in there, find the clips that people are making, access them all. I'll see them for a second and then it's hard to pull it back up. Yeah, so technically there's- I'll vouch for you, babe. <laughs> Thanks. There's an activity feed for the show, but it only shows the last, I'm just going to say 30 things that have happened. So if someone leaves 30 comments or like I did, I went through and responded to a bunch of comments. It actually pushes clips off of that feed. So I can't see them and in turn, like, you know, listen to them and then pay out. If you haven't seen your money on Fountain, that's why I apologize. It looks like they have a new version coming out. And allegedly in this new version, that particular issue is fixed. So if it gets fixed, 
I will go through and backdate all of those all of those clips. The other thing I wanted to call out is sharing the clips. The other half of the, the bounty is you share it on Nostra, right? We got to standardize this, guys. Some people are tagging me. Some people are tagging Mondana. Some people are tagging the pod. Some people are putting the hashtag. Some people are making up their own hashtags. We got to put them all in one spot so I can go through when I'm when I have some downtime and just listen and, and pay out. You could tag whoever you want. That doesn't matter. Tagging me or Mondana or the pod, fine. But you have to put the hashtag flirting with Bitcoin clips. And I think this particular point right here will help us weed out a lot of people that are not actually listening to the show <laughs> because they're not going to hear this part of the show. <laughs> so unless yeah. someone makes a clip. <laughs> unless someone makes a clip. Okay. Don't make a clip of this. <laughs> you have to put hashtag flirting with Bitcoin clips in the post on Nostra. That's where we're going to pay out from. If it doesn't have the hashtag, I'm not paying out. I'm not digging through all of Nostra trying to find everyone's clips that they've shared. So You know what these are? These are champagne problems. These, Would you have thought a year ago we'd be like, guys, you're making too many clips. We're going to have to scale things back. <laughs> it, it, this is just for my sanity. I want to make sure everyone gets paid, but I can't do it by like jumping around Nostra trying to find everything. All right, babe, any more rules you want to lay on this program? One more thing that's not a rule before I get into the change in the payout. So when you share on Nostra, be as descriptive as you want. Obviously, the more descriptive you are, the more likely someone is to listen to your clip and the more likely someone is to possibly pay you extra. I've seen a couple people on Nostra make like another 500 sats on a clip. The idea is working. People are making more than we have paid out. Yeah, which I think like also incentivizes like making a really great clip, right? Because the point of making a clip originally is not like what we're doing, which is like paying you out, thanking you for promoting our show. It's supposed to say like, hey, I listen to this podcast. I really like this clip of the podcast, like listen to it. So you making a clip that is informative or educational or just funny that someone enjoys listening to that you share other people can just find it and uh give you boosts for it or on no street you can get zaps for it like don't just try to get ian's attention right there's 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 more money out there to be made exactly and one of the ways to increase that is a lot of people on nostra don't know about fountain just keep that in mind um i was at a conference for bitcoin on wednesday now, this was a Bitcoin conference, mind you. And most of the people I talked to there did not know about Fountain. So Fountain is not a well-known app in the Bitcoin ecosystem at the moment. And so when you share your clips on, on Nostra or wherever you're sharing them, share them on Twitter as well, include your Fountain referral link. So if you include your Fountain referral link um, and someone doesn't have Fountain and they sign up, you get a percentage of all of the fees, which is what it says in the app. I don't know what fees exactly are. But you get a percentage of fees that they pay into Fountain. I guess if they use like a premium account or something like that. Yeah. Again, I've only made a couple Satoshis from it. So like obviously it's something. Um, But the point there being like part of the way to get this to actually work is to bring more people onto Fountain and bring more people into the value for value ecosystem. So like I said, I've seen some people make some extra money, you know, make more sats on Nostra. I've seen people make more sats on Fountain, yeah, right? I have so to. like that's the idea. It's I'm trying to incentivize you to make the clip, but your real incentive should be to make something very marketable because other people will pay you more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is only the beginning. You're like you're dipping your toes in what this could be for you. Yes. So that being said, uh what you're all probably waiting for is what's the change in the payout? 
Main change is that we're going down to a max of 500 sats. That'll be 250 on Fountain if you make a clip on Fountain and 250 on Nostra if you post on Nostra. But 250 is only for the current week's episodes. You're hearing this right now. This should be out on Monday. From Monday on, it's 250 for the current episode. So next Monday, there'll be a new episode. That episode gets 250. All previous episodes are 100 and 100. So 100 sats for a clip and 100 sats on Nostra. And the idea there being is that a lot of the information in the older episodes is kind of timely. Some of it's not, like wallets and stuff like that and keys. But a lot of that stuff is like current event and it's timely. And so there's just, quote unquote, less value in older information. But that's the way we're going to try to incentivize people to really focus on making clips of the current episode of the week. Okay, so too long didn't read. If you're making clips going forward, uh, the max payout for the current week's episode is 250 on Fallon and 250 on Nostra. And for older episodes, it's 100 uh, for each post. Then if you are going to post on Nostra, Use the hashtag flirting with Bitcoin clips. That's the only way Ian's going to be able to find them. Be patient with us. And thank you for being flexible as Ian continues to run this experiment. Just like, you know, remind him what a cool wife I am for letting him do this. I would do it regardless. (laughs) I would start a sneaky podcast on the side. The sneaky, uh, the sneaking with Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, sneaking with Bitcoin. (laughs) Okay, babe, people are on the edge of their seats because last week you left us with a teaser. You talked to us about how you think there's going to be a Silk Road 2.0. And then you said it was time that you taught me about the story of the Silk Road. It's pretty surprising to me that you don't know the story. Because I love drama. Not because you love drama, but like, didn't you go to school for like criminal justice? I did, but it was before this happened. Okay. Yeah, you're like showing my age. (laughs) These types of crimes uh, weren't what we covered. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I studied a couple of things. One of them was criminal justice and criminology, which is the study of crime. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here to psychoanalyze the criminal acts that you're about to explain to me. But yeah, also like just surprised that you didn't hear or know about it because it was one of Obama's like big things that he did. on The bust? Kind of, yeah. Like, Silk Road is up there with Julian Assange and um, all the leaks and stuff, like Mm -hmm. all the Intel leaks and stuff. It was up there with, like, that type of... You know, personally um, for me, when those types of things happen, I like to wait out and see what actually happened. But but it's all happened, is my point. Like, we... has. I mean, I don't feel like we ever get the full story up front. Right, but... the situation. It's like 10 years later. 10 years later, I'm like, Ian, tell me what happened. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, but I bet you, even after whatever you talked to me about today, like in a month, more information will come out because that's how this stuff shakes out. I mean, maybe. All right, babe, let's get into it. A high level, what was the Silk Road? It was a website? Yes, it was a website. On the dark web? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. To you, yes. Yeah, okay. To you, it was on the, the dark, dark web. web. How does one get on the dark web? Do you uh, turn off the lights in your room and then open your laptop? <laughs> That was a lame joke. Thank that you. Was a, that was a mom joke. Thank you. I'm a mom now. Um, it's not nonsense. It's mom sense. Copyright. Like I said, to you, it was on the dark web. But part of the story is like how it was hidden. Right. And we'll get to that. So it was it was using a, a protocol called Tor. Mm-hmm. And that's a protocol that still exists. Um, Bitcoin relies on Tor. 
Um, a lot of things still rely on Tor. And Tor is fine, like, if you want to, like, create some level of anonymity. Like, it scrambles the originating location to where something ends It just up. masks your IP address. Okay. Right? And an IP address is, is literally an address, and you can map an IP address to a physical location. So a lot of people don't want their IP address exposed. And why is that relevant? Well, we'll get into it. Okay. Right? For this guy, Russ Albrick, it's relevant because when you're running an online drug bazaar, you probably don't want the feds knowing where you are. Mm-hmm. Right? So the Silk Road was basically the Amazon of drugs. Amongst other things, people sold legitimate things on there also, but the Silk Road is primarily known for being the place where you could buy drugs online, pay in Bitcoin, and get them shipped to your house. So it's like, I want a kilo of snow. Send it to this address. Here's my credit card. Well, not your credit card, because you had to pay in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, duh. But So it, it only operated on Bitcoin. It only operated on Bitcoin. Aha. Um, and the reason why it operated on Bitcoin was because... We had already seen what they had done to like online gambling and some other things that they wanted to stop from happening on the internet. We talked about this in a previous episode called Operation Choke Point. Mm -hmm. So the Silk Road uh, utilized Bitcoin, amongst other things, to get around the banking system. Bitcoin has a, you know, quote unquote, a, a value, right? At the time, 2011, 12, 13, around... Around there, Bitcoin was like $1 to like $100. I think it went up and down in that time frame around that price. So people who wanted to buy drugs got exposed to two very important pieces of technology. They got exposed to Bitcoin and they got exposed to Tor. Mm -hmm. So Silk Road exposed uh, a lot of people, especially in college, because, you know, college kids buying drugs. Um, It exposed them to Bitcoin very early, right? You're in college, you're 18, 19, 20. Mm -hmm. I think you know. I think it's interesting that you said college age kids because in my mind I'm thinking like these are dealers who are then selling to like smaller dealer or whatever. These so this is literally just how people were buying their personal use drugs. Yes. Wow, that was very bold of this Russ guy. I mean, bold of him or bold of the person buying it and shipping it to their house. Yeah, I mean, all around. The point here is that Silk Road ties into Bitcoin for two reasons. Number one. You had to use Bitcoin to buy and sell on this site. Number two, a percentage of the people were of college age where they got exposed to these ideas of anonymity. Well, relative anonymity because you're shipping stuff to your house. But like Mm -hmm. anonymous transactions and Tor, which is relative anonymity on the Internet. I was aware of the Silk Road. I never used the Silk Road. I never purchased anything on the Silk Road. And I just remember thinking like like you just said, like, that's pretty bold. How did you learn about it? Like through a friend? Everyone knows. I mean, if you're in technology, you know the story of the Silk Road. But while it was available and running or after the bust, you found out about it? I knew about it when it was running. I knew How? I knew people that bought drugs and got them oh, shipped okay, to their house. Okay, and I was okay, like, that's okay. stupid. It is stupid. But people did it. Yeah. Um, but the point here is that like... Because like someone still has their name and address, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The point that I'm trying to get at is that there's a cohort of people in Bitcoin that got exposed to Bitcoin... Because of the Silk Road. Yeah. That cohort, I believe, is a lot larger than people are taking into account when we talk about like how many Bitcoiners there are. Okay. Because there were a lot of people that bought Bitcoin solely for the purpose of buying stuff on the Silk Road. The Silk Road got shut down. They didn't all get rid of their Bitcoin. Oh, you think so? No, because while the Silk Road is 
growing, the value of Bitcoin is growing. Uh-huh. And as I said in like our first episode, you can't say it doesn't have any value when people who are committing crimes are using it, are as, using money. it as money. So there's all these people that have this leftover Bitcoin from the Silk Road getting shut down. And I argue that a percentage of them just held on to it because they saw it accrete in value. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of college kids that are probably millionaires. I know at least two people, not personally, but I know at least two stories of people who like, yeah, I bought Bitcoin when I was in college. They didn't say why. Yeah. And oh. then, I, you know, then like he's like 28, nine and buys a house cash with Bitcoin. Jeez. Okay. So obviously like the story of the Silk Road is that they get, he gets busted, right? But yeah. is it unique the way that he got busted? Was he like not supposed to because the technology should have protected him? A lot of different things happened. He was probably going to go down regardless News publications were writing articles about the Silk Road. Like, it was bringing a lot of heat. It was Um, in the mainstream? It was in the mainstream, yes. But before it was in the mainstream, the United States Postal Service basically alerted the FBI saying, hey, we're seeing an uptick in the amount of drugs that are being attempted to be moved through the Postal Service. And they all seem to have some association with something called the Silk Road. And that was very early on relative to the life of Silk Road. And that triggers an investigation. You could argue that a lot of people knew about the Silk Road and they were trying to investigate it and their superiors just didn't care. But for some reason, the Postal Service saying drugs are moving through the Postal Service, that was enough to get the ball rolling on an actual investigation. Because your mailman was suddenly a drug dealer, unknowingly. Yeah, I mean, and there's tons of comedians that have jokes about that. Uh Like, my favorite drug dealer is the mailman, or my favorite drug dealer is the FedEx guy, right? So, like, there was a lot of... It was in mainstream. Like, people were just joking about the fact that this thing existed, and this is how I get my drugs. Eventually, this guy gets put on the case right here in Baltimore. One of the first things this guy does is create... You know, he creates a fake personality on the Silk Road, Mm -hmm. and he attempts to befriend Russ Albrecht. And he does. He actually becomes one of his, like, people that he talks to all the time. And they fall in love. Uh, so you've got male situation. Let's just say Russ trusts him. Okay. I don't know about love, but he trusts him. And one of the first things that the guy does is offer to buy Silk Road from him. So that kind of what is what gets Russ's attention because this guy kind of puts a price tag on what, what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I wasn't present in the room when it happened, but, like... I think that once someone made an offer to buy this thing, it gave it like a real tangible value, like the Snapchat guys did to Facebook, right? Like Facebook came in and said, Snapchat, we want to buy you. Mm -hmm. And they said, for how much? And Facebook said a number and they said, great. Now we're going to take that number and go pretend like that's what we're worth. Uh huh. And so that's kind of what happened here where this detective pretended to be this cartel guy (laughs) offered to buy it from him for like a million dollars, I think. And then Russ was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's obviously worth more than that. But like, okay, you've put a price in my head now of like what this could be worth. Um, just fast forward a little bit to the end. But when they arrested him, eventually they calculated that he was doing like seven to eight million a year, which is like crazy because it's not above board. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so, a lot of money to be moving around or Bitcoin. <laughs> right. But this detective, as he's befriending him, Silk Road is growing. And so Russ is kind of like, well, who can I talk to about this? And it just so happens that this guy that he started talking to... This FBI agent. This FBI agent who he thinks is a cartel guy. He's been in the game, technically. He's investigated these guys. So he kind of knows 
how to talk the talk. So he gives Russ, I don't want to say he gave him advice because I think that would probably be illegal for an FBI agent to tell you how to run an illegal operation. I don't know. It seems like they're allowed to do whatever they want these days. From very early on, he is basically talking to the feds. He's basically giving up the whole game. Not all of the information, but he's talking to this guy about his problems. And this guy knows all the problems that Russ is having running the Silk Road. (laughs) So the Silk Road is growing and... Uh, they got to hire customer support because now there's buyers and sellers that and are people having- deserve a certain level of customer service, even if it's just buying drugs on the internet. <laughs> it is a marketplace, but they have like a, a code of conduct, let's okay. just call it. And so he eventually hires this guy to like be customer support. And it's like this old guy in Utah. Well, the feds figure out who that guy is and they set him up. And they like send him a, a fake box of cocaine or something. He brings it in his house. They kick his door in because they're the ones who gave it to him. And they arrest this guy. The guy knows why he's being arrested. He's not like yeah. unaware of what he's doing. But he just starts spilling the beans because he's just customer support. He has nothing to lose. Yeah. And, um, you know, when he starts talking about Russ, he's like terrified of this guy because Russ had created this persona called Dread Pirate Roberts. Which is from The Princess Bride, which is a very popular movie of this like infamous pirate that apparently the person behind the mask continually changes. Mm-hmm. You sell the the persona, kind of like Gallagher. I don't know if you know Gallagher, the the comedian. No, but he's a guy that like smashes watermelons with a with a sledgehammer. That's like oh, his yeah, yeah. his whole thing. Um, so allegedly Gallagher, the comedian has like sold that persona. Like multiple people have been Gallagher. Allegedly. I don't know if that's officially true, but I've seen and read that multiple times. So Russ had this persona that what he was this like badass drug dealer. Yeah. I mean, he's running an illegal drug marketplace. You would assume that somebody doing that has some capability of malice. So basically what happens is that this guy got arrested and, Russ finds out and Russ goes to his friend, this cartel guy who he thinks is the cartel guy was really FBI. And he's like, hey, man, I got a problem. Oh, man. (laughs) And the cartel guy knows he has a problem. Oh, my God. What happened? Because he's the one who arrested this guy. How two-faced. And he's like, look, I just need you to, like, go find him and get my money back. Because apparently when he got arrested, they confiscated some Bitcoin and it looked like he, the guy had stole it. Somehow that goes from, I need you to go rough him up and send me my money back to just kill him. Wow. And the... Russ, the detect- what happened to your code of conduct? Well, this is the, this is the, this is the Walter White. This is... It is Breaking Bad. This, this is Heisenberg, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, this is the criminology. This is where my criminology degree comes in. I don't really remember what I learned. <laughs> But, but you people, paid for it. People commit crime. No, I do. People commit crime. Like, and the and the logic behind it is that it's like they get in too deep, and when you're around a bunch of criminals, you become a criminal. Yeah, like that's literally what happened. It's like if you are caught once doing something that's illegal, and you go to jail, you are surrounded by so many criminals that you're going to come out a career criminal. 
whether or not you had any intention of being a criminal when you went into jail. Like, right? Like, first time offense, whatever. Which is why we should not put a bunch of white-collar criminals in a jail together. Yes. All they do is trade they- secrets. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, I would assume he's, like, in this world. And sure, he's talking to his FBI agent. He, he must have been talking to some other people, too, right? Yeah. We get, we'll get into all yeah, of that later. So, I'm sure someone else was like, no, you just need to kill him. Um, There's no roughing up. Like, you need to, like, nip this in the butt or what, you know? like that's that's what happens in that world and you get and all of a sudden like that violence becomes normalized to you and yeah that's how you can break bad luckily for him he didn't actually kill the guy so yeah i didn't kill him i'm not surprised (laughs) so but they did fake his death yeah so russ asked for like pictures um so they basically like get this guy to sign a waiver and they like pretend kill him and send russ pictures um, as like proof that this guy's dead. And Russ was happy. Why am I acting like I know him? <laughs> I don't know if he's happy or not, but he thinks that he killed somebody yeah. or that he had someone killed. So while all that's going on, as I said earlier, Tor is how they're hiding this whole network. Obviously, the FBI is getting involved in cybercrime and stuff like that. And the FBI actually had busted a member of Anonymous, the like hacker group. And so they kind of recruited that guy to try to break Tor and expose this IP address. And I guess the guy wrote some software program for them or whatever, yada, yada, yada. They eventually find the IP address, which is not supposed to happen. But as Russ is growing Silk Road... Like he just got sloppy? Yeah, like you have to configure stuff. Mm -hmm. And so someone had warned Russ, like, hey man, the IP address is leaking, but he just kind of brushed it off and was like, it's fine. Well, it wasn't fine. And the IP address eventually leaked to the FBI. It links to a server in um, Iceland. Mm-hmm. So they go to Iceland and it's a data center. And they basically are like, yeah, with FBI, give us everything you got. It's Iceland. They don't want no problems. Yeah. And they basically hand over the hard drive of the Silk Road. So if you have bought drugs... <laughs> On the Silk Road. They have it. They got it. Jeez. They got every single transaction that ever happened on the Silk Road. They have all kinds of encrypted messages, quote unquote encrypted messages. Um, they eventually come up with some like program to like mask and like basically be able to pretend to be Russ. And so they could see everything. Wow. They saw everything. Okay, so I get it. Like, there was this little, there was a, a way that they got around the technology and they caught him, mm-hmm. right? So what? What do you mean, so what? Like, why is this a, a big deal? Is it just because they use Bitcoin? Like, very interesting story, all. Like, absolutely. But doesn't this happen all the time with drug busts? Doesn't someone run a amazon of drugs for multiple years like with impunity no that doesn't happen all the time but it wasn't impunity he got caught right impunity meaning meaning he was doing this off a laptop like in downtown san francisco oh he wasn't hot san francisco he wasn't like in a cave or a bunker hiding out in nicaragua like he was a dude with a laptop wow and he was traveling the world i think he went to australia he was in texas he was in san francisco like the idea behind tour is that they don't know where you are uh-huh. so he was just like walking around And the FBI kind of knew that he was just walking around and they kind of knew that it was just one guy. And so, no, that doesn't happen all the time. Okay. I bring up the Julian Assange thing. It's like, doesn't, doesn't Julian Assange happen all the time? No. Like people do not leak like the entire deep state quote unquote apparatus and then 
hide in in Colombia for a decade like live to survive yeah like it does that it, do people expose secrets sure but does it does it go down in this particular fashion no the silk road was a unique case and the reason why we got to talk about it on a podcast about bitcoin not just because they were using bitcoin as the currency silk road was one of the big takedowns that the obama administration did to show like oh you think you can run something like this you can't I think yes, regardless of what you want to say about Russ Albrick ordering an execution, whether or not he, he it happened or not, then apparently he, he like had, if he was a bad or good person. Yeah, bad or good is irrelevant from why I think he is being punished the way that he is. He's gotten two life sentences, no opportunity for parole. He's going to be in there forever. He's going to die in jail. Um, very similar to what's going to happen to Julian Assange if he ever gets brought to the states. He showed the world there is a thing that you can run a successful economy on that is not uh, controlled by a government. Do you think he knew that was the risk he was taking? I think he knew that's what he was doing. And obviously using drugs as your main product brings a lot of heat. He like, he had, a, I mean, like, it's funny um, to, for this episode, I was like reading the like wired article that I read a couple years ago that kind of like gave me all the details, but he watched a lot of stuff on YouTube and was quoting a lot of stuff that a lot of Bitcoiners are into. Well, obviously he was a Bitcoiner. I mean, he was a Bitcoiner, but like um, Anne Rand and uh, Atlas Shrugged and the Mises Institute and Austrian economics and Rothbard, like the things that he was saying while he was doing the Silk Road, it wasn't just about the drugs. Yeah, obviously. And that's the example that I think is being made of him. I don't think it's about the drugs. I think it's about you do not run economies with, with anything other than the dollar. Do you think that he knew that he might go to jail forever and die in prison? Because if he was, you know, that casual about the security of his system. Again, casual is a relative term. This all of these He was doing it on his laptop, like you said. Again, this is 2011, 12, 13. People yeah. did a, people ran LinkedIn off their laptops. Okay. Right? So like running stuff off your laptop wasn't okay. abnormal. I don't think that when he started, he planned on being a martyr for Bitcoin. Oh, but the Bitcoin community sees him as one? People in the Bitcoin community see him as a martyr. How do you see him? I see him as a person who ran an experiment that worked, and it worked a little too well. And Kind of like the Flirting with Bitcoin Clips bounty program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, just throwing it out there, El Salvador. Uh-huh. That's another experiment. Yeah. But El Salvador is a country... They have certain, whether the United States is going to respect them or not, they have certain sovereign rights, right? Russ Albrecht was just a citizen of the United States, and he was breaking laws within the United States. But fundamentally, what he did with Silk Road is what El Salvador is doing. It's running an economy using Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And it functioned. Everyone was happy, give or take, right? Just name the people that ran economies that tried to like sidestep the United States. It doesn't end well for them. Mm -hmm. And I think Russ Ulbricht's one of them. I think that martyr is uh, strong. I don't think he was trying to be a martyr. But I think when the government saw what was actually happening, they made an example of him. And it wasn't about the drugs. The drugs and the murder just make it seem okay that they're putting him away for that long. Okay, so there's obviously a movement to free him. I yeah, there's freeross.org. Are you a part of that movement? No. Okay. He broke the law. 
Whether we agree with the law or not, he broke the law. I can't imagine myself ever ordering a hit on someone. Mm-hmm. Maybe under certain circumstances, but like because I was running an illegal drug website, like <laughs> I've made a bunch of bad decisions before that, right? Like, so no, like I think he is in jail for committing crimes. But what I also think is that when someone says he's in jail for committing crimes, it's very easy to point to the crimes that he committed. And most people, as we call in the Bitcoin world, normies, Mm -hmm. will just look at the list of things he was charged with and go, yeah, that person should be in jail. If they know nothing about Bitcoin and they know nothing about what the financial world would say about using Bitcoin in that way. Uh It's very easy to just say he's a criminal. But in my mind, like there is definitely an other side to this that um, he probably will never get out of jail. He's probably not getting out of jail. Just like Julian Assange, he's he's going to be Julian Assange for the rest of his life. He's never going to get out of whatever trouble he's in. But I think we need to be honest with ourselves that there are very powerful people that make examples of people. And I think that he's one of them. And I think that the Bitcoin community agrees with that sentiment mainly because he was using Bitcoin as like his currency, but also because like um, someone tweeted this today, guy has a shop in Canada and he had a Bitcoin sticker in his window. Like we accept Bitcoin or whatever. And someone came in and just started yelling at him about accepting Bitcoin and how it's destroying the planet. And you need to take that sticker down and you're such a bad person. Okay. Okay. Bitcoiners see that fight coming. Mm -hmm. They see the quote unquote psyop that's being run to make people think that Bitcoin is killing everything and everyone. That particular story that someone tweeted, I think, is the first of many that we're going to see of people flipping out over Bitcoin, just like we see people flipping out over everything else. Karen's going into stores and just yelling in people's faces, thinking that they're just right because they read an article in the Washington Post or whatever. Like People are targeting Bitcoiners, and, and I think Russ and Silk Road is the initial, like, what do you want to call it? The initial salvo in that fight is that they put this guy in jail for using Bitcoin. Like I said in our first episode, the first thing you heard about Bitcoin was that it's used by criminals and it's bad and they point directly at the Silk Road. That's when they started talking about Bitcoin, when they had a bad example to talk about. They didn't talk about all the good it can do. They didn't talk about like, oh, hey, maybe we don't need this crazy apparatus to run the world economy. We can just run it with like two computers. (laughs) Like that doesn't doesn't benefit anyone who makes money from the financial system. That's not salacious enough to get my attention. What? The good story. Oh, right. Yeah. So like, that's my point is like, it's slowly just being piled on. And that story that I just quoted is, I think, a very strong indicator of what's to come. You know, it's interesting the way you're talking there is like, it's almost fear mongering. Like people are coming for you if you use Bitcoin, but we'll see if it's true. They are coming for you if you use Bitcoin. I know. I know. But just the messaging there is it's interesting. I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm not trying to. Get I know pe- you're not trying to fear monger, but it's it sounds like it a little. And I think that's the problem. Like, that's the hurdle that Bitcoiners are going to have that no matter what, it does kind of sound like a pyramid scheme. No matter what, you are separating yourself from other people. No matter what, people are going to come for you and have criticisms and you're going to have to band together and be extremists about it. Like, it's difficult and there will be a fight ahead. Yeah, but I look at it the same way as like um, the environmentalists or PETA even. Who's worse, the person who like wears the fur coat 
or the person who like rolls up on you and just throws paint on your fur coat. Like some people would say the fur coat wearer is the bad person. Even if that fur coat's 100 years old, 200 years old, it's been in the family forever. Don't wear animal fur. I have the right to just destroy your property. Who's worse in that scenario? Yeah. I mean, and I think I was saying this before, like, to you, that it's this concept of, like, a good person or a bad person is, is not real, right? And it's one that I'm really trying to unlearn because people are complex and issues are complex and all of those things. So I think it's one that right now our society is not handling really well right it's you're either with me or against me or you're a good person or a bad person and it's just not as simple as that and i think like bitcoiners should definitely give patience and grace to people who are not bitcoiners yet hopefully right eventually they will be Mm -hmm. um and you know we would hope that non-bitcoiners are also patient and not judgmental to bitcoiners which is asking for a lot in an age where you have crypto scams left and right. One can only hope that there's civility and like the path forward to hopefully some independence from fiat money. Maybe. I don't think that's how it's going to go down. I don't think so either, but a girl can dream. You went to a Bitcoin policy summit last week. I did. This had, you know, think tanks and senators and D.C. people. What did you think, babe? The event was good. They held it at the the press club. Um, It had a very strong air of respectability. You know, it wasn't like in some startup lounge that had like, you know, pink walls, right? And the people throwing it, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, they're, te- they're coming at this from an angle that I think a lot of Bitcoiners don't like. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to go was to, I wanted to see it firsthand and want someone to tell me like what was going on. Shout out to Ian. It was invitation only and he got invited. Yeah. I'm proud of my man. I'm not a crazy person. But no, like, so there's a lot of Bitcoiners that don't think that you should engage the government. Right. A lot of Bitcoiners think that that's how you get captured. Right. You get captured by the government that way. I tend to disagree. I think that the idea that the dollar is just going to disappear tomorrow and like governments are just going to disappear tomorrow and fiat's going to collapse and we're going to live in this like Bitcoin utopia. Utopia. Yeah. Like I just don't. Bitcoin island. I don't see that as happening, right? That's why I say we got to go to El Salvador, right? Like, if you want to live in that world, go to El Salvador. Don't sit here and wait for it to happen. It's happening somewhere else. But if you're going to stay in the United States, you still have to play the United States game. And that United States game is you go and you educate legislators, whether you like them or not, to your issue. And this institute is going to legislators, legislators, and educating them to the issue of Bitcoin. They had Ted Cruz speak, they had uh, Cynthia Lummis speak, and they had two other guys that were former legislators whose names I don't recall, but they're in the pamphlet. That's not a lot. That's not a lot of the United States legislature. One of them, Ted Cruz, I would argue is not very favored either. He's very divisive. Well, yeah. And and I think that like the fact that I'm in the same room as Ted Cruz and the things that he's saying, I'm just like nodding along being like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Like Bitcoin is making me nod along to Ted Cruz. Mm -hmm. Like I hate that that's the case. The thing that I care about, like I don't really care about politics anymore. 
because that doesn't work in my opinion. But the thing that I do care about, which is Bitcoin, is basically changing politics. Wasn't Biden's some member of Biden's policy staff or campaign staff also speaking at this? I saw on the list. Maybe. Um, maybe. Oh, you missed that panel? I guess. I don't like there were a lot of people in suits. Okay. Right. I think a lot of people who don't live in D.C. or haven't lived in D.C. and haven't experienced how D.C. works doesn't understand you have to do this. Not so that you get them to change their minds or like do something you want them to do, just so that they'll leave you alone. Once they have like a general understanding of what Bitcoin is, which some of them are getting, like Cynthia Lummis is one. And ironically, like I had never really listened to her talk for an hour, but I sat there and I listened to her. And her story about how she came to Bitcoin, I think is a story that anybody her age is going to tell. It wasn't a fancy story. Uh It was, I had a job that I was in charge of the money Mm -hmm. and I was trying to preserve the money in perpetuity, like into the future. And her her future Mm son-in-law taught her about Bitcoin. And she saw how it could possibly be used for what she was trying to do. It took her a while to become a Bitcoiner. But now she is. And she's at this policy institute talking and she's trying to convince other senators to see it her way. I don't think she's like deep in the technical details of it, but I think she has a general understanding of like, this is a much better way to do things. And that's all we got to get the legislature to understand. This is a better way to do things. Instead of, oh, this is the boogeyman or this is something only criminals use. Exactly. And so you got her on one side and then you got Elizabeth Warren on the other side who's like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason she says it's bad, she's not taking into account like it does a lot of good. There's tons of things that are bad that do a lot of good, like plastic (laughs) <laughs> like petro, like oil, like how many wars and people have died for oil so that we could get our Coke in a plastic bottle? Like what? So um, we could talk about it more next week because one of the things that I learned at this uh, conference is that there's somebody doing something really cool called the Bitcoin Classic. It's a basketball tournament that pays out in Bitcoin. And so next week, we're going to talk about that. Ooh, another teaser. Can't wait.